So, welcome to the meditation hall. In some ways, this will be the heart of the retreat, where you'll receive some instructions, teachings, the times when you can come together as a community to be in one place to meditate, to breathe together, be aware together. And uh, the hope is that, the aspiration is that you all are welcome here, feel welcome, and that you all find a way to be here that um, works for you with uh, whatever your background, whatever your situation might be. And if uh, somehow this doesn't work for you, or you don't feel completely all of you is welcomed, then um, you know, let us know and we'll talk about it and see if we can find a way so that part of you can be feel welcomed and included as well. So, in this room, I can say that there are two things, maybe, that make this room. One is there's the walls and the floor and the ceiling. And then it's the distance between all those things to make the space. And so the space is an important part of the room. And the space is the, the room, the walls and the ceiling and stuff makes the makes the space within which we can operate and move and things can happen here. I use this as an analogy for what goes on in the mind. That there's all the things that go on. There's the sights, the things we hear and smell and taste and touch, the thoughts that we have. And then there's the space or there's the awareness that knows that. And we have this amazing capacity for awareness as I think you know, many living creatures have in some way or other. And I don't know about uh, all the living creatures, but uh, there's something uh, very special among species like us in that uh, not only are we aware, but we can be conscious of being aware. We can be self-reflective and aware that we know. And in that knowing that we can know that we know, there's kind of a, uh, you know, there's a distinction between what we know and the knowing. And we can be aware, we can feel, we can sense, we can intuit, we can know the distinction between what we know and the knowing of it. And it's possible to be aware of things kind of casually or peripherally. So I'm, as I'm sitting here, I'm kind of aware there's a bell to, down to my right on the stage. Um, and that's kind of nice. But, um, you know, if I swing my hand really widely, I might, you know, be careful with it. But I can turn towards it and really see the bell and know that's a bell, as opposed to just an object there to be careful with. And there's a way that awareness can be casual, peripheral, 
but there's a kind of a higher quality awareness of knowing where we really know that's a bell. I'm really seeing this and I know that I'm seeing it. I can be, I can be clearly aware that there's two things happening here. There's the bell that's known and there's a knowing. And that knowing is a distinct thing. The bell can exist somehow, some way or other. Um, this object can exist some way or other without uh, me knowing that it's there. And so one of the things we're doing in mindfulness practice is we're finding a home, finding a refuge, or the Buddha used the word resort. I don't think he meant a vacation resort, but a resort for uh, in our capacity to be aware, in the self-reflective uh, uh, capacities of of attention, awareness, knowing, mindfulness, understanding. There's all these kinds of self-reflective movements, capacities of the mind, where we understand, we know, we experience. So clearly we know we know. And to learn about these distinction and to understand how in that, that the knowing itself is something very special, that it's a refuge. The Buddha called it uh, sometimes, in, uh, well, I'll get to that in a moment, but you know, a, a refuge, a home that we can be in. And um, then what that means is that we're not so hooked or tied in to the things that we know. And most of us, most of the day, are reacting, responding, uh, dealing with, fixing, something that we know, something that we are relating to as something that we know. It could be a fantasy, it could be some fiction that we come up with. We know that, and we're responding and reacting and feeling and preferring and aver averting and all kinds of things to all of it. It's, it's very complicated, our relationship to what we know. But if we're constantly in that relationship and, and uh, entangled or absorbed in what we know, uh, we're never going to be free. And so to step back from that, in a sense, to, and find our home in the knowing, in the mindfulness of something, in the awareness of it, and the, and the kind of way that awareness, that mindfulness, um, it can exist independent of what is known. So I can know the bell, I can know the clock, I can know the stage, I can know the sabaton, I can know the floor. The common denominator in all those acts is the knowing. The knowing is kind of portable. But what is that knowing? What is awareness? What is attention? How do you use it? How do you live in it? How do you apply it? What is it for you? I kind of a little bit f kind of fascinated by the biblical idea, I think, that uh, God made us from clay. That's a nice story, given that, you know, we're completely, you know, clay, maybe stardust, someone else would say. We're, you know, we're all, we're completely made up of recycled materials. 
and uh, just stuff, right? So, you know, it's probably somehow or other was part of the earth at some point, or pretty much this body. And then um, God comes along and breathes into this clay thing that's been created. And then life happened, and one of the characteristics of, of life is consciousness. And so what is this consciousness, this thing, this spark, this attention, this clarity, what is that? It's an amazing thing to have, that we have. And all too often people take it for granted. It's kind of like maybe the fish that doesn't see the water, supposedly, that they swim in. Uh, many people don't see the awareness that they are operating in. But what we do with mindfulness practice is we start becoming self-reflectively aware of this act of knowing, this act of awareness, act of attention. And I use different words for it because maybe it's not a single thing that, that we want to kind of narrow down and define, now I know exactly what it is. But it's this kind of in this area. So the Buddha, um, gave a lovely little fable or story. He said, there are places in, out in the natural world that are so rugged and so steep and that neither humans nor monkeys can live there. And there are places that are not so rough and tumbly and that monkeys can live there but people can't and there are wonderful places I think he says beautiful places where people can live and monkeys can live but if but since both of them can live there there are hunters in the people place and apparently in ancient India one way to catch monkeys was to put somehow maybe on a bo big board or maybe on a piece of big log or something uh, to put this, uh, uh, the, uh, the translation says it's pitch, I guess like tar. And the monkey comes along to, they're curious, and they put their hand. But apparently it's like su super glue, gorilla glue, and so it can't get its hand free of the pitch. So to help, it puts the other hand in. And now both hands are stuck. So what you do then is you use your foot and you put your foot down to push off. But then the foot gets stuck. And then the other foot, and that gets stuck. So now he has monkey stuck on all four. And so there's one other option. It's important that there's five. You'll see in a moment. So, so to get five, um, it is what's left is it puts its face in the, the pitch to push off. And then it's just hopeless. And so then the hunter comes along and just picks it up and it's caught the, the monkey. So the Buddha said that um, if the monkey had stayed in its proper place, in its home, in its resort, it, um, it would have been safe. There was a place, that, that place where in, the, in the wilds where humans couldn't go, but it left its safety. So in the same way, the, what he would have said, the, the home, the resort, 
Then he uses the word the ancestral land, your 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 ancestral country. Yours. That's kind of a very evocative idea. Your your ancestral land. We've all come from different places. You know, different countries, different continents, all kinds of you know our our, our you know home home country. You know, whatever hometown, something. But for the Buddha, if you go back far enough, there was a time before all this in some ways. So maybe the ancestral home for the Buddha, the resort, is the four foundations of mindfulness. The four ways of, of establishing awareness or attention. That's the ancestral home. That's the resort. That's the refuge that we can go into. And the pitch... Our, this is why five was important. Is uh, the five uh, sense the five se- uh, five objects of the uh, five sense objects, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and tactile objects. And um, it's kind of you know evocative idea that the sense world that we live in out there sometimes works like pitch. And maybe there's been a time where you got caught. Caught, 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 and um, you know, push it away. You know, get, not that, and then get stuck again more. I have a little problem with this with um, corn chips, <laughs> tortilla, tortilla, tortilla chips. You know, just you know, you know, uh, you know. It's I leave my safe ancestral home and. <laughs> You know, just you know, just 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 a little piece of a tortilla chips. My hand goes in. Just a little bit more. My hand goes in. Just a teeny bit more. My foot goes in. <laughs> my other foot goes in, and then my snout goes in. <laughs> and you know, I've been caught in those chips. The world of chips. So I don't know. Maybe. You have your own equivalent of the pitch that the sense world that you get caught in. Some people, it's TV, you know, and or a computer or whatever. And um, but the idea is to stay. I, I love this idea. Stay home, in your ancestral home. In in the resort, that's found in this place of attention, awareness, mindfulness, clear comprehension. You see the qualities of attention, the attentional domain of our life, and that there's freedom to be found in there. It's a way of not getting caught in the pitch. It's a way of staying in the safety, not leaving the safe place. And that's kind of what, one way the Buddha uh, talked about mindfulness and the cultivation of mindfulness, sati. So on this retreat, the theme of the retreat is going to be sati, and um, I, I don't. Mindfulness is not always my favorite translation for sati, so I'll talk about that as we go along. So for now, I'll just use the word sati, and um, and uh, I w- wanted to give these the talks for the retreat and explore some of the ways in which the Buddha talked about sati um, and uh, the range of it. Um, many people, mostly if they know a sutta that, that about sati, they know the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. But the Buddha had a lot of other teachings in other places about this topic. 
And, um, and some of them are a little bit surprising, like the teachings where the four foundations of mindfulness are equated with jhana practice, as opposed to seen as two different paths. And um, so uh, I'd like to, uh, uh, hope, hope to kind of be able to introduce to you, teach you some of the different ways the Buddha talked about, talked about sati, uh, in a way that hopefully will, uh, will map close enough how this retreat will unfold, the movement of the retreat. Because retreats are a journey, and so we'll follow the journey kind of together as a group. And, um, and um, so there are, you know, so there's different suttas that I'll talk about. There's a, a sutta on um, mindfulness directed to the body, which is, there's th- actually three large suttas on mindfulness or sati. Uh, the discourse on mindfulness on the body, the discourse on mindfulness of the of breathing, and the discourse on the four ways of establishing sati, and um, so and then other suttas. So that's kind of the, the the plan. What we'll do here in terms of the talks. For the instructions, the instructions will be about. Well, I'll use w- the instructions from one of those uh, three discourses. And that's uh, the Anapanasati Sutta, the Discourse on Mindfulness of Breathing. And uh, in there, the Buddha gives 16-step process for cultivating and developing awareness. And then he goes on to uh, explain how these 16 steps correspond to the four foundations of mindfulness. So they're very intimately connected to the usual teachings on mindfulness. Um, and uh, with a slight different variation. And the, the variation is the emphasis is kind of to keep as a kind of a constant or as a thread through the practice we do, attention to the breathing. And part of the advantage of that is that it's also a concentration practice. And so the breathing w- works both as a mindfulness practice and as a concentration practice. And it's a, a wonderful way to explore uh, all, the f- all, the f- all the four foundations of mindfulness so the the instructions will be on the on the uh, sixteen stages of mindful of mindfulness of breathing, sati or breathing, and the talks will support that with a wider discussion about sati and the connection between these steps and the rest of Buddhist teachings on sati, on the way to liberation and freedom. So uh, I hope that in doing these talks, the intention of the talks is, is to support you in your practice here in real time. I'm not so interested in these teachings as an abstract idea. Uh, it's not like I want to teach you the, you know, just so you know what the, what has survived from some ancient text or something. But rather I find these ancient texts quite interesting uh, as a kind of platform or as a vehicle for exploring and um, developing our own attentional capacities to get into this whole other space, this whole other, you know, the ancestral home that we have, to really kind of get to know it, familiar with it. And hopefully in doing that, uh, you'll feel that it's a a home, a refuge, a a place to dwell and be that does provide freedom, does provide a wonderful independence from what is known. And since what is known is basically everything, it means that you can be basically free in relationship to everything, at least in theory. 
And that's kind of the path that we're on, to know how to be in this world and not be caught in the pitch. That sound okay? Okay. So um, I'm very happy that you're here. I'm happy to be sharing this with you and practicing with you. And I'm very happy to be here with Inez. Inez is a wonderful teacher and a wonderful practitioner. And uh, she has a lot to offer. And um, it was my wish to include her more as a teacher in this retreat. So, so uh, I say that out of my respect for her so that maybe some of that rub off on you. <laughs> she, has, she, has a, she has a lot to offer. And uh, she, you'll get a little bit of her teachings and wisdom in this retreat. And, um, and now we'll get what she has to say about the formal, be- we begin, with the way we begin, they're kind of more formally in a ritual way, kind of. I don't think Inez doesn't like the word ritual. <laughs> um, so she'll do something different. But um, but uh, the, um, the uh, refuge and precepts. Thank you, Inez. So um, taking refuge um, can mean finding safety from danger, uh, protecting what's uh, most valuable for ourselves in our lives. When we take um, refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, um, it can point to uh, taking refuge from the uh, suffering we cause ourselves when we react to our experiences in our life uh, based on clinging uh, to our inner greed, hatred, aversion, or delusion. So we're taking refuge and away from from the qualities in our heart that we're purifying with this practice. I also, uh, for myself, you know, when I take refuge, I connect with my deepest desperation. So every time I sit for myself, I like to really connect with that, uh, with that just for a moment, you know, as, as I enter my sittings. So we take refuge in the Buddha, who is this uh, uh, incredibly wise person, uh, but a person just like us, who became awakened and became free. And so we follow his example uh, by following his teachings and the practices he taught and and developing the qualities that uh, he developed. Uh, Qualities of non-harming, of compassion, of wisdom. And uh, the more we develop those qualities within ourselves, uh, the the more we can rest in a refuge, the stronger that uh, that sense of um, you know uh, you know really being okay with the thousands and millions of things we know with everything we know, and we take refuge in the sangha, uh, the community of practitioners that practice the Dharma, and without each other in here, uh, we couldn't have a retreat. You know, we're, we're all part of this, and we all support each other. Um, and, you know, I also think of um, 
taking refuge in the Sangha interpersonally, um, you know, developing qualities or interpersonal qualities of, uh, of kindness, generosity, those qualities that we all have in ourselves. And I've been moved so many times on retreat. Um, you know, we, we, we're in silence, you know, and, and we often, you know, never look at each other, and, and we're so internally focused. Yet, um, I don't think I've gone through a retreat where I haven't been moved um, by experiencing kindness and generosity of the other retreatants. Um, it's so palpable. Um, so I'd like to take, um, you know, all of us to take refuge together. And we uh, usually do it in Pali. And uh, we'll begin with um, homage to the Buddha, which is uh, uh, respect for the Buddha, appreciation. And uh, it actually means uh, homage to the Blessed One, the Worthy One, the Awakened One. So I'm going to say the phrase and then please repeat after me and we'll do that three times. Namo tasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa Sama Sambuddhasa So we will now chant the three refuges. I go to the Buddha for de- refuge. I go to the Dharma for refuge. I go to the Sangha for refuge. And we'll do it in Pali. So um, repeat the phrase after me. Buddham saranam gachami Buddham saranam gachami Dhammam saranam gachami Dhammam saranam gachami Sangam saranam gachami Sangam saranam gachami Dutiyampi buddham saranam gachami Dutiyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi 
Tatiampi Tamam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami So now, um, the five precepts, uh, we'd like to take the five precepts as a group. Um, non-harming is um, an essential part of uh, becoming free. Uh, it, uh, when we live our lives based on non-harming, we um, develop the qualities in our heart uh, of being free from clinging, free from suffering. And um, the Buddha taught the five precepts as, uh, as you know, the, the ethical practices that he taught uh, that help support uh, uh, purifying those parts of ourselves. And, um, and not as, you know, this is right and wrong, but really he taught it as a way of really, you know, watching our, our lives. Uh, when we follow the precepts and we live by lives based on non-harming, uh, it brings us uh, freedom and, and uh, happiness. If we uh, do the opposite, it brings us suffering. So it's really just this very, uh, there are these very practical ways of, of looking at our lives, you know, as um, nourishing uh, our hearts and our, our freedom. Um, so the five precepts are, um, the first one is to refrain from killing. And um, I like to think about it in terms of also um, uh, honoring um, the, um, honoring uh, treating all, all living beings with reverence. Um, you know, not harming, um, including um, the way we relate to every living being from the, um, you know, little, little tiny bugs that we will encounter in our space that uh, will escort out um, to, um, you know, the humans who come, uh, you know, driving in their um, motorcycles and, uh, you know, making all sorts of noise and, uh, or whatever else comes into our uh, space. Um, so the second one is to uh, refrain from taking what's not given. Uh, the third one is to uh, refrain from sexual misconduct. Um, which um, on retreat means uh, uh, not not uh, having any sexual behavior whatsoever. <coughs> um, the fourth is to refrain from lying and speaking the truth. And of course, on retreat, um, you know, we refer to maintaining uh, noble silence and only speaking uh, when we really need to, um, such as our. Uh, uh, when we meet with our practice discussions with uh, with the teachers and uh, um, or occasionally with the work meditations, you know, to 
uh, clarify something that we might need. And the last one is to refrain from intoxicants. So what I'd like to do is uh, ask you all to agree to these five precepts, you know, and really aware that by voicing them and agreeing to them, uh, we're just really, um, uh, really expressing how we want to take care of this container that we're forming as a community to give each other a sense of safety um, and trust. Um, so really appreciating that, uh, you know, this, this uh, amazing thing that we're weaving together tonight and in the next two weeks. So uh, please repeat after me as I, um, as I say them. For the duration of this retreat, For the duration of this retreat I agree to refrain from killing and to act with reverence to all forms of life. I agree to refrain from taking that which is not given. I agree to refrain from sexual activity. I agree to maintain noble silence. I agree to maintain noble silence. And to only speak when necessary. And to only speak when necessary. I agree to refrain from intoxicants. I agree to refrain from intoxicants. So silence is going to begin now, and um, we're ending um, early tonight, and so feel free to go to bed early, um, or feel free to go have a cup of tea, or if you're inspired to uh, sit in the hall and meditate, or um, do walking meditation, either in the walking hall, which for the, there's a couple of people who are new, which is like right, right next to us here to the right, um, or walking outside, it's really still kind of warm and beautiful, or using the hall, so whatever space you find that, you know, nurtures your walking. Um, and we'll uh, wake in the morning at 5, and we'll sit at 5.30. So, sleep well. <laughs>